Good morning. Everybody hear me okay? Trying out a new mic today. Hopefully this will go well. Um, I'm very pleased to be able to share this with you. This is something that's actually been resonating in my heart for almost seven years now. And I know when I, I can pinpoint when I started thinking about this subject because it coincided with the passing of my sister Charlene, who many of you know here. Um, so it's been almost seven years um, since she passed away from breast cancer. And I do, I miss her terribly, particularly at the time when she passed. It was, it was such a shock for someone 44 years old to pass. Um, but she was, she was a woman of faith and she talked much about healing. And if God didn't heal her here, she would be healed in heaven. So she had this great hope of looking forward to heaven. And I just had this yearning to learn more about heaven. What is this place like that my sister is going to, or my sister had went to? Um, so I had a book by Randy Alcorn, if you're familiar with him, it's called Heaven, very simply. It's like a textbook, it's super thick and it has everything you could possibly imagine addressed about heaven and all the scriptures uh, regarding that. Um, so I, I reread that because I wanted to feel that connection with her and understand what is she doing right now? Because I missed her so much, I'm thinking, I'm visualizing, what is she doing right now? Whenever I would sing worship songs at church, particularly ones that talked about that conquering the power of sin and death, conquering the power of the grave, I just felt so transported into the heavenly throne room because the Jesus I was praying, the one who conquered death, was also the same Jesus my sister was praising, just in a different location. So for me, it was like, it served two purposes. One, it was a powerful way to to meditate more deeply on what Christ has accomplished for us and what we have to look forward to as believers. And secondly, a way for me to, to feel that connection with my sister. She's alive. She's, she's better than ever. And I'll be with her again. So I just, I, I just started thinking about the idea of what does it mean to praise God, praise him in heaven, and, and obviously praise him here on earth. Um, and the idea that when, when we start singing here, we're, we're joining with a choir that's already in the process of singing. Like, we're just adding our voices to that. And that's such an encouraging thought to me. And feeling like, you know, I'm not the best singer, but I'm, I'm kind of an apprentice. I'm learning. I'm learning to praise God more. And one day we will be experts, so to speak, uh, when we go to sing in heaven with all those who have gone before us. So this message is sort of about singing and praising God. And what does that look like here on earth and in heaven? Um, I, I certainly can't cover every aspect of that, but there's some thoughts I believe God gave to me to give to you. So I, I hope this will be encouraging to you. One interesting thing is when you look at singing in heaven, there's actually two types of songs that are mentioned in heaven. One is called the Song of Moses. If you look in Revelation 15, verses two to three, it says, those who have conquered the beast sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. This is a song of old. It's likely referencing Exodus 15. If you look in there, Exodus 15 is this long praise about how God led them out through the Red Sea. And they're referencing that song in heaven. They're singing the song of Moses in heaven. So they're singing an old song in heaven. The second kind of song that's sung in heaven is what's referred to as a new song, and that's kind of the focus of my message today. Revelation 14, verses 2 to 3 says, The 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth sing a new song before God's throne. And again in Revelation 5, 9, it says, 
four living creatures and 24 elders sang a new song. So the reference to the Song of Moses and then the two references to singing a new song in heaven suggests that in heaven we will sing old songs, we will also sing new songs. And when we get to heaven, we're going to praise God in every conceivable way. It's not just going to be through singing. Uh, but singing will be one of those predominant ways. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the, great, of the Lord's great love forever. So those who can never carry a tune on earth, right? Like my husband likes to say he makes a joyful noise because he's not the best singer. We, our voices are going to be perfected, and we are going to praise God perfectly one day, and we are never going to grow tired of exalting him. So when we get to heaven one day, we are going to overflow. You can just imagine overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving for all that Jesus has done for us. In fact, scripture says in Isaiah 43, 21, that the people I have formed for myself, uh, that may proclaim my praise. That shows that we were created to praise God. That's one of the things that God created us to do. But that praise wasn't meant to be just in heaven. It's also meant to be on earth. In that book, Heaven, I was referencing, it says there is no higher pleasure. At times, we'll lose ourselves in praise, doing nothing but worshiping him. At other times, we'll worship him as we build a cabinet, paint a picture, cook a meal, talk with an old friend, take a walk, or throw a ball. So there's a variety of ways that we can praise God and worship God. But today, we want to primarily focus on singing praises to the Lord. In Psalm 104, verse 33, it states, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And there are so many verses I could have chosen. Just the, the idea of we are to sing praises while we are here on earth. And it actually, it's not, sometimes we think um, singing's optional. It's really not. It's a command in scripture. And many times it says, tells us to sing praises. We're more than just invited to sing a praise to God. We're told to praise God because he is worthy of that praise. So when we're singing, we're doing what God has asked of us. And here's a few verses from the New Testament that reinforces that idea that singing is not optional. In Ephesians 5, 18 to 19, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And from James, another early church leader, says, Those who have reason to be thankful should continually sing praises to the Lord. So that sounds pretty clear, that this is what God has created us to do, to praise him. And here's the cool thing. Did you know that Jesus even sang? It's interesting. When you watch movies about Jesus, can anyone recall a scene where he's, a, he's singing? I can't. Maybe you can. But you have to remember, Jesus, he went into synagogues, right? And what did they do in synagogues? They took the hymns, the, uh, the psalms from the Old Testament, they sang them as hymns. So we know that Jesus must have sung the psalms from the Old Testament. And there's a direct scripture reference to Jesus singing. In Mark 14, 26, it says that Jesus sang a hymn after the Last Supper as he was walking to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And that was part of the Passover meal, is ending with singing hymns. So while scripture mentions singing to the Lord many, many times, we're talking specifically today about singing a new song to the Lord. That's actually referenced nine times in scripture. 
And here's our key verse for the day, Psalm 98.1. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. So I won't, I won't be able to read all the references, but of the nine, six are in the Psalms, one is in Isaiah, which I will get to, and two are in Revelation, which I had already read. So one key reason that we sing um, a new song to the Lord is it's the result of God doing a new thing. So when something amazing happens in our life, that God's hand is all over it, we acknowledge that often by singing praises to him. And I think the most obvious example, at least in my life, maybe in your own, may be the moment that we responded to the gospel. That moment when we acknowledged our sin before God, we accepted his free gift of salvation, we surrendered our lives to his lordship, and we entered into his eternal family. It says that we went from an old creature to a new creature. So when God is doing a new thing, there's a new song to be sung. So, excuse me. So when scripture talks about God doing a new thing, it often refers to the gospel. And you'll see that in various places in the Old Testament in particular. But I, here I want to highlight something David wrote. And this directly relates to God doing a new thing and singing a new song. So in Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3, David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So we have to think about ourselves. We were in a horrible pit, right? We were in the pit of our sin. And it says that God brought us up and out. He set our feet on a secure place. He set our feet on the rock. And he has forever established our place in his family. Therefore, we are to praise him with a new song. That's what it says. He put a new song in my mouth when he did that. For who he is and what he has done. So this new thing that we experience, this, this new life that God has brought, compels us to sing a new song. So I wanted to ask at this point, um, have you experienced the saving act of God where you recognize your inability to overcome sin, you knew that you were stuck, you asked God to lift you up and set you in a solid place, a secure place, and be part of his family? That could be to that today for you. And God can put a new song in your heart when you make that choice. But you have to first acknowledge that you're stuck, right? You're stuck and you need to be lifted up and that you can't save yourself. For those of us who have made this choice, I'd like you to just take a minute and think back if, if there was a particular moment in time when you made that choice. And what were some of the feelings that you had? And did you have that feeling that you just kind of wanted to burst into a new song for all that God has given you, for being fully cleansed, to being forgiven, and into a family, an eternal family? Well, singing is one way to express that feeling that wells up inside of us. So we learned, okay, one, one thing, a new song is singing when God does something new, like when he brings us to faith. Let's look at some other reasons why we sing a new song. And we'll go back to our key verse, which is Psalm 96. And I'm just going to read this psalm quickly and point out a few things that talk about reasons we can sing a new song. 
Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to every nation. He has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills song out, sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. So I'd like to point out three things in this psalm that talk about reasons we can sing a new song to the Lord. First is the past. If you look in verse 1, our key verse, it says, Praising God for the wonderful deeds he has done. So this refers to the moment of our salvation. It refers to salvation in that verse. Or any other thing in the past, amazing things that God has done in our life. We can sing a new song by reflecting back on that. Here's another one in verse 3. It talks about that God has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to his people. So this talks about the present, God's ongoing love and faithfulness to us will always be reason for us to sing a new song to him. And finally, verse 9, he refers to the future where Jesus, or the Savior one day, is going to come and he's going to judge the rule, the world with justice. So he's going to come back. So we can praise God now with a new song, looking forward to the fact that he's going to come back. He's going to make all things new. He's going to establish his eternal kingdom, that we will be part of that. That will also prompt a new song. So we have to remember that we should never be at a loss of something new to sing to the Lord when we reflect on the past and the present and the future. So then you, then you have to say, well, what exactly does it mean to sing a new song? Sometimes it's good when you're trying to figure out what something means to say, well, what does it not mean? So you might say, well, what's the opposite of singing a new song? And if you're kind of just basic English knowledge, well, of course, the opposite of singing a new song is singing an old song, right? No, actually, according to scripture, that's not correct. Because remember, they sang the song of Moses in heaven. They sang an old song in heaven. So the opposite of singing a new song is not singing an old song, but I'll tell you what it is by looking at this verse. In Isaiah 42.10, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song, and it's praise from the ends of the earth. The word new in that verse, and I'm probably saying it wrong, but I, I say hadash, that's the Hebrew, for, for new. Well, for... So, if you read through this, we don't have time to read through, but there's a number of verses that says, sing to the Lord a new song, and it gives a couple of verses of, of how they're praising God. And then it switches. In verse 14, it says, for a, for a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. And here Isaiah uses a different Hebrew word, heresh, which means to keep quiet. So Isaiah was doing like a play on words like we do in English sometimes. So he took hadash and heresh, and they apparently look very similar in, English, um, in Hebrew when you read the Hebrew words. And so he was doing a play on words, and he's saying the opposite of singing a new song is, is restraining yourself and keeping yourself quiet. And I thought that was really profound. And how often we can do that with the Lord when we should be singing a new song out loud and we, we restrain and keep ourselves quiet. So singing a new song to the Lord means actually singing voluntarily enthusiastically, an unforced expression of praise to God. 
It's holding nothing back. It's putting a voice to our praise and singing with all that we are. So the opposite of keeping quiet, but just letting it all pour out to the Lord. And I read this, I thought this was a neat way to put it. Singing has such a unique way of bringing our heart, soul, mind, and strength together so that we can focus entirely and completely on God. In an age of distraction, singing grabs the attention of all our senses, right? And helps us focus on God. It can kind of tune the world out and we can be wholly centered and focused on God. And as I said earlier, because God is always at work, there's always something new to sing about. Uh, Someone put it this way, new songs of praise are appropriate for new rescues and fresh manifestations of grace. As long as God is gracious toward us, as long as he keeps showing us his power and wowing us with his works, it is fitting that we not just sing old songs inspired by his past grace, but also that we sing new songs about his ever-streaming, never-ceasing grace. And another reason there's always a new song to be sung is because no one song can capture all of who God is, right? I mean, there's some amazing worship songs out there, but they never fully capture God. And even if you take the totality of all the worship songs that have ever been written, they'll never get to the bottom of who God is because God is infinitely good and beyond all that we can think or imagine. So I just wanted to mention a few things that the Lord brought to mind, some aspects about singing a new song. I hope will be helpful to you. The first one is we sing a new song when we sing with new understanding. So as we grow in the knowledge of God's truths, the words that we sing in the song can be seen in a new light or a fresh way. Like for example, when you read your Bible, like you've read this passage a million times, but all of a sudden something just pops out and God just speaks to your heart. Well, that can happen with a song, a worship song. Maybe it didn't mean much to you, but then you experience something in life where God showed you a truth about himself, and all of a sudden your heart is fully engaged, and it's that new song, a voluntary expression of enthusiasm to God. When we sing with new understanding, it's because God's word's getting deeper in us, right? And Paul tells us two ways that his word can dwell in us. So if we look at Colossians 3.16... It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So if you look at that verse, you'll say there's two ways that God's word can dwell richly in you. It could be through teaching, right? And the other way is through singing and praising God. So singing is really, it's more than just a warm-up for the sermon. And it's our praising God is more than just a filler for the service, because we need to fill the last 10 minutes, right? But it's one of the key ways that God gets his word to dwell in us richly. I really like how this one guy put it. Um, C.J. Mahaney says, church singing, he calls, he calls it take-home theology. And I love that idea because the best songs we sing together serve as three-minute, easily memorizable, deeply biblical summary of important truths from Scripture. So he calls it take-home theology. I kind of reworded that. I just thought this was such a cool idea. I called it theology on the go. So you you take a song that's so rich and speaks of, of God so powerfully, and how quickly you can learn that song in just a few minutes, right? And it's theology on the go. We take a lot of things with us on the go right now, right? We take our masks, we take our hand sanitizer, 
cell phones, whatever it is you take with you everywhere you go, my water bottle. But we need to look at worship as something on the go. This is something God wants us to take an attitude of worship and even the words and the songs themselves on the go when we're out and about. I just want to give one cautionary note though. We need to be careful what we're singing. Like theology on the go. Theology is like the study of God. Like where are our hearts? We're, we're all going to worship something. Whether you're a believer or not, are, are we're worshiping something. The question is what are you worshiping? And how is that reflected in your singing and in your music choices? So it's, poor, it's important to have discernment when it comes to the music that you listen to. Do, has anyone had that phenomenon where a song gets stuck in your head and you just can't get it out? I just say baby shark and everyone knows what I mean, right? <laughs> so you, you have to be so careful with what we put in our heads because it will, it will permeate and it will stay there. So we have to ask, are we filling our our minds with God's truth, with good theology on the go, or are we filling it with worldly ideas that reinforce ungodly attitudes? So I just want you to consider that. The second aspect of singing a new song is that we sing a new song when we sing with new words. Now this might seem kind of obvious, but it's true. As singing a new song could be just what it says. It could be a new song that you come across it could be finding new worship songs. It could be a song that you write to the Lord yourself. I'm not gifted in that area. I'm not going to probably go home and write a worship song to the Lord. Maybe someday God will prompt me. But there are, there are so many rich and wonderful praise songs to God that you can find in order to sing a new song to God. There's a variety of resources. Just going to the Internet. Do you know that if you go to the Internet and you can type in worship songs about God's forgiveness, boom, you'll have like 30 songs there. So if that's something you're, you're struggling with, believing that God truly forgives you, there's songs there that can become like take-home theology, uh, on-the-go theology. There's YouTube videos. You can put your, your new songs to a, to a visual presentation. There's Spotify. There's all sorts of things. Another example of finding a, a new song to sing is sharing one, with one another. Remember the verse said, speaking hymns and songs and psalms to one another? My good friend Caroline Davis, she often says, I got this great song and she'll, she'll send it to me and I'll, I'll listen to that and I'll do the same to her. That's how we can share songs and hymns and spiritual songs with one another. And as a side note, songs are an amazing way to pray for somebody. There's certain songs that you can have an association regard, like when, when this particular song pops up, I'm like, bam, I think of this one person, I pray for them using the, the lyrics of that song. So it's another way that we can sing a, song, sing a new song to the Lord is by using it as a, a mechanism, mechanism of prayer for somebody. Another aspect I wanted to share was singing a new song builds others up. So first of all, when we sing a new song, it builds up other believers. So again, when we do what the Bible says, which is sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together as a church family, you know what we're doing? I love this idea. We're hearing confessions of faith all around us. So let's say, for example, we sing, in Christ alone my hope is found, right? I'm watching Sue over there singing that, and that encourages my heart. I'm watching someone else over here singing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I hear all these different people singing these songs, and it's, it's just many confessions all together in unison of praising God and how wonderful he is. That greatly builds me up and encourages my faith. You know what else I love? I love hearing when the children sing, especially my own children when they sing. 
It, it's a great reminder to me that they don't belong to me, they belong to God. And their singing builds me up. Um, another thought, have you ever been a little late to church and you hear the music already going? And I'm like, <gasps> and I'm like running in, not because I'm a little embarrassed to be late, but mainly because I want to be in there. I want to sing corporately with my spiritual family. I want all of us to sing and praise God together. And I think that's probably one reason why during COVID it was really hard for me, you know, singing songs, sitting on my couch in my recliner, and it's just, I was missing that whole corporate aspect of all of us testifying to the same thing about how wonderful God is. So songs can build others up like other believers. Another thing a new song can do is you can help unbelievers by singing praises to God. Let me explain what I mean by that. Singing is actually a means by which God, God uses to spread his word to other people. There, there's a lot of examples of this, but I wanted to go back to um, a scripture passage I used earlier. This is going back to Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. Listen to this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Why? Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So right after having a new praise in our mouth, many will see this and be able to put their trust in God. So when we praise God and someone who doesn't follow Jesus is in our midst, they see that. They see our test. It's like we're testifying to God and his greatness. Tim, Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. Good corporate worship will naturally be evangelistic. It will naturally share the gospel. So other people will look at this. They'll see all our confessions of faith. Hopefully they'll start wondering, man, what am I missing out on? And it whets their appetite to pursue the Lord. So I wanted to have three application points before I wrap up today. The first one is what I'm saying, respond, not quench. Respond to the Lord and not quench. So I found this definition of worship when I was working on this message, and I just thought this is so simple, but it's so true, and I wanted to share that with you. And it's what called the three R's of worship. First, worship is a revelation, and that's when God is revealing himself to us. Well, we'll get, so God reveals himself to us, and then we respond. Can someone put up the, the next slide, please? Thank you. So God reveals himself to us in some way, whether it's, th it's through an action or his word or whatever, and then we respond. So worship is a response to, to a revelation, and it results in a relationship being built. So let me give an example of what that looks like. Going back to our discussion on heaven, we see Jesus is revealed as the supreme and final authority. He is our savior king. That is all throughout the book of Revelation. Okay, he is Lord of heaven and earth. In response, in heaven, what do you see? People, people and other living creatures could do nothing but fall down and worship the Lord and burst into various songs of praise. Finally, a relationship between God and man is forever established in heaven because they're seeing God face to face or in his very presence. So these three same aspects of worship really should be part of our earthly experience. That God is going to reveal himself to us, whether through his word whether it may be something we see, someone, maybe a friend, kind of challenges us some way, the Holy Spirit speaks to us when we're praying. However it is, God reveals himself to us, and God wants a response. And that's what worship is. 
we have an opportunity to respond. It could be through singing, but it could be in other ways. Whatever it is, it needs to be a heartfelt response. And then when we respond, it strengthens our relationship with God. So getting back to the don't quench part, that's the middle step, the response. So I think sometimes as Christians, particularly Western Christians, we put a lot of value on head knowledge. We can learn stuff about God, new truths are revealed to us, but sometimes it doesn't really lead anywhere. We kind of relegate it to kind of the back quarters of our mind, or we jot a note in our Bible thinking that's a cool fact, but it doesn't really internalize here, right? And we never really express any sort of reaction to it. But on the other hand, if we take something that God has revealed to us, and we're able to turn that into praise, turn that into a prayer to him, turn it into a song, a new song to him that builds our relationship with him. I want to give an example, um, maybe a little more down to earth that'll help illustrate this point. So take, take for example, you have a child, okay? And they come up to you and they say, Bob, guess what? You're never gonna believe it. I got a hundred on that big test I studied for the other day. Imagine if I just looked at my child and I made no comment. I, I got the knowledge in my head, okay. They studied, they did great, very good, but I say nothing. Does that build our relationship at all? No, it would utterly discourage them probably. So merely knowing the fact of something, it, that's not a response. God is asking us to respond. So when I say, way to go, good job, keep, keep on going, then they're encouraged, our relationship is built. So how many times have God shown something magnificent about himself and it's like, uh, and it just stops there, right? We kind of stifle it. So remember, this kind of harkens back to what I said earlier, that the opposite of singing a new song to the Lord is not singing an old song. It's keeping quiet or restraining yourself. God doesn't want that. He wants us to be fully open to him and fully responsive to him. He wants us to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and not quench that. The second application point is that singing a new song to the Lord can help us stand strong. And there's two, two aspects where it can help us stand strong. First is in times of trial. So we often think that singing is great. When you're happy, it's a celebration, time to sing, right? But it, the same is true when we're struggling. We see a lot of examples in scripture of that. Two that come to my mind is the story of Paul and Silas. They were they shared the gospel and they, they were thrown into prison. First, they were flogged severely, put into prison, chained to a wall. And then they sat there and they complained that it was so unjust that they were arrested and how awful the beatings were. No, they didn't do that. It says they sang praises to God. So singing God's truth in times of severe trial strengthened them to continue on and to keep their mind on what was true. What's true? That God... That, um, sorry, that God is worthy of our praise even when we're tied up here, that it is a joy to be persecuted for him. Like it kept their mind on the truth. Another example is King Jehoshaphat. When he was ready to, getting ready to go into battle, um, he had to strengthen his troops. So what did he do? So he went up to them and he said, okay, I want everyone to sharpen their swords. I want you to practice your hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? No. King Jehoshaphat, you know what he did? He had them sing and praise the Lord, which was the best preparation for battle. It says, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. I thought that was so neat. So if singing and praising God in trial can strengthen Paul and Silas, 
can strengthen Jehoshaphat and his army. Surely, when I'm in the trial, singing and praising God can strengthen me as well. Here's an example from my own life, and going back to the example of my sister Charlene. Um, she was, when she was really going downhill at the end, I would often travel to the hospital where she was at, and it was a good half-hour drive. Um, her cancer had spread, her health was failing. I really had no idea what news I was going to get when I arrived. I, I didn't know what words I could possibly say to my sister, and I would, I would agonize on that half-hour ride, and I would just cry out to God, and I would had a couple songs that I just kept singing over and over with to fill my mind with God's truth so I wouldn't be so, so much in despair. Tears streaming down my face, singing songs about God's presence in hard times, songs about hope of heaven, songs about God's goodness in all things, praying I didn't run off the road because the tears were flowing and I couldn't see right. Um, two songs I sang during that time was Third Day's song, called Trust in Jesus, and the words were, what are you going to do when your time has come and your life is done and there's nothing you can stand on? I trust in Jesus, my great deliverer, my strong defender, the Son of God. I would sing, that's one of the songs I would sing. Another song I would sing was Matt Redman, 10,000 Reasons, um, and at the end of that song it says, and on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near, my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending, 10,000 years and then forevermore. Tears streaming, but God strengthened me. That was theology on the go. Do you see the concept? As I'm driving, I'm singing, I'm, I'm being armed for battle because I had no idea what I was going to face. Now, remember I mentioned Jesus also sang? This is so interesting. So at the, at the end of a Passover meal, there would be several psalms that they would sing, and it would end with Psalm 118. So what I want to do now is read just a small portion of Psalm 118. This is a psalm that Jesus himself sung to strengthen himself as he knew the horrific trial that he was about to face. So just close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to read just a few verses of Psalm 18. This is what Jesus would have sung on his way to Gethsemane. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. That's what he sang as he walked to the Garden of Gethsemane. So if Jesus, facing his greatest trial, sang God's truth to strengthen himself, I think that's something we need to do as well. Secondly, another way we can stand strong is in times of temptation. I think there's a lot of times we're tempted to believe lies. And that's really what gets us off track in our relationship with God. A few examples. Let's say you believe, oh, I'm worthless, I'm a loser, you know, I'm a mistake. We can go to a song like Matthew West, right? Hello, my name is child of the one true king. I've been saved, I've been changed, I've been set free. You can listen to a song that tells you the truth of who you are in Christ. Maybe you're tempted to believe that God has abandoned you, that you are all alone, right? And you have Matt Redmond's song, for example, Oh, no, you never let go. Through the calm and through the storm, you never let go. And every high and every low. There's just so many amazing songs that can address where we're at to fight the lie that, that we naturally want to believe and fill our mind with God's truth. When we sing to the Lord, we're actually waging war. It's a battle of our mind. We're trying to get our mind to be filled with the mind of Christ. I love this quote I came across. A singing heart is a heart at war with the work of the evil one and the power of sin. Simply put, a heart that is engaged in praising God and focusing on God's truths will not easily give in to temptation. 
The final point I want to make is actually the most important one. I saved it for the end, and that is the whole point of singing a new song to God is not about us. It's about God and glorifying God. Sometimes we, we can make worship about ourselves, about the feelings that we have, but it's because God is worthy of the praise, period, right? He is our creator. We were created to praise him. We are to glorify him regardless of anything else you can throw, throw at it. And that's the idea of what I mentioned earlier, the idea of like in the midst of really hard things, in the midst of our sorrow and pain, there are many times I privately and then here, here at church, corporately, I have just sang with tears streaming down my face because it's a choice to praise God sometimes. Even if our feelings say otherwise, right? He's still worthy of all the praise. And when we praise him, when we glorify him, despite our circumstances, we align ourselves with his will and we're able to surrender our own will. And that's the power, the beauty of singing a new song to God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism of Faith um, asked this question. Many of you may know. Don't put the answer up yet. So the question is, what is the chief end of man? Anyone want to shout it out? Anyone know? <laughs> right. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is why we sing a new song, to glorify God. And it, it really relates to what we choose to sing about and the attitude of our hearts and how we sing it. Second Chronicles 16 says, Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of the nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. How great and high and lofty God is, and we need to glorify it and acknowledge that. So what exactly does it mean to glorify God? That's a whole nother sermon, but just a few thoughts. To glorify God means to set God highest in our thoughts. To glorify God means to esteem him as the only place where true treasures are found. To glorify God is to admire his attributes. It's to express our deep love for him. And glorif we glorify God when we surrender our will to him, to him who is our king. So to wrap up, I just wanted to remind you of our th three main application points. One is to respond and not quench. When God reveals something to you, don't restrain yourself and keep quiet. Sing a new song. Let it flow out, and that way you'll build your relationship with God. Secondly, when we, um, singing a new song helps us to stand strong in hard times. It helps us to stand strong in the middle of trials. helps us to stand strong when we're facing lies. And remember, theology on the go. That's the key, having, taking God's word with us in the form of a song. And the third point, as I just said, is to your job, you were created to glorify God. Remember, it's not an option. God commanded us to sing praises to him. So I want to end where I began, which is taking another look at heaven. In Revelation 7, 9 to 10, the Apostle John describes a glimpse of eternity with a great multitude of people from every tribe, people, and language singing before the throne Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So everybody who is in heaven and God's family is going to be singing together. 
Will you be one of that great multitude one day? I really hope you will. I can't wait to get there and sing with my sisters and all those others who have gone before me how incredibly amazing it will be. And remember, even in heaven, sometimes you have the idea it might be boring or something like that. We will never, ever exhaust all of who God is. There will always be a new song to be sung because God will be continually revealing more and more about his greatness. And that goes the same on earth. God should, God's love for us should never cease to inspire us to sing new songs. Remember, his love, the height, the breadth, the depth of his love is mind-boggling. And we will forever have the joy of creating and singing new songs to him. But let's not wait till heaven, right? Now is the time to sing a new song to the Lord. Think of it as like choir rehearsal, right? So let me end our time in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, you are so great and mighty. You are worthy of every praise that we can offer and way more beyond that, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for how lightly we take praising you, how we tune out when we should be fully engaged. Lord, help us to sing a new song to you. Thank you, Lord, for the vehicle you've given us that allows us to strengthen ourselves, that we can have your words to take with us. Help us, Lord, to find those right songs, the songs that really magnify and lift you up. Songs that are about you, they're not about us and our feelings. Help us, Father. You are worthy of all praise. In Jesus' name.